And good afternoon, Pittsburgh Steelers fans, and welcome to another episode of Steelers Brunch with Tony. I am your host, Tony Defio, and thank you as always for joining me. I hope you're having a great Saturday. It's certainly a beautiful Saturday here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I already went out for a walk. I already did my laundry. I already wrote an article that may or may you may or may not like. So uh, it's been a productive day so far. So I hope you're having a good Saturday as well. And before I begin today's broadcast, I just wanted to, as always, encourage you to subscribe to Behind the Steel Curtains podcast channel on, on YouTube. We have podcasts just about every day. I think mean, we do have them every day. We have multiple podcasts each day. Uh, one that was published this morning that surprised me was uh, Brian Anthony Davis had an interview with Morton Anderson. I don't, I don't know if you know who Morton Anderson is, but he's a legendary kicker for the Saints in the 1980s. He he competed with Gary Anderson for many years as for the top spot in, in the league as far as the premier kickers of his day. So uh, give that a listen when you when you can. And uh, of course, we have plenty plenty others like uh, the Standard is the Standard, which is hosted by. There's so many hosts now. I, I can't keep track. When, when after Jeff Hartman left, it's it, it's hard to keep track of. Uh, of who's who hosts what, but uh, I believe that's uh, Dave Schofield and maybe Brian Anthony Davis, and Michael Beck. I think they're they're all part of that. And there's yeah, I said it, hosted by the famous Lance Williams. He just had another podcast on Friday. There is Stat Geek, hosted by the behind the store curtain editor Dave Schofield, and, and along with his uh, his big brother, Big Bro Sco. He's also on that show. There's Steelers Q&A hosted by yours truly and Brian Anthony Davis every Monday at five. And that's during the off season, during the regular season. It is called Steelers Hangover and it, and it, and it airs usually the day after your latest Steelers game where we talk about hopefully a win, but sometimes a loss and what could have gone better, what could have, what went wrong, all those things. So Please subscribe to our channel, and of course, as always, I also ask you to check out Behind the Store Curtain, uh, the, the website, where we bring you 10 articles each and every day. There's breaking news, there's commentary, there's film breakdown, there's draft coverage, there's, I mean, there's everything, everything you could, you could possibly want. As they say, it's, the, it's your one-stop shop for all your Steelers needs, so please check that out. So... Uh, Hello to everybody in the uh, in the live chat. As always, thank you for joining me. We have so many familiar faces: Sean Manahan, Ryan O'Toole, Dave Shipley, my main man Dave, Dennis Sheridan, the legend, Ezra. He's in there. George Teston, that's a new one. Uh, let's see who else: Kathy Ford, or, uh, another regular. So that covers everybody so far. So thank you for joining me. And today I figured I'd do a fun show, at least fun for me anyway. After all these serious topics we've been talking about the last few weeks. I just wanted to share about share with you my love for the Steelers and how I've been following them for 40 years. And I didn't really I didn't realize that until last month. It was my birthday and I, I for some reason that that reminded me that wow I've been following the Steelers for 40 years. I just turned 48. And uh it really really it was for me it was 40 years in January because the first game that I remember watching was Super Bowl 14 against the Rams, the 31-19 victory. So it was really 40 years in January, but for some reason it didn't occur to me that I had been watching the Steelers for 40 years 
until I, I turned 48 last month. So uh, it, it's funny how I became a fan. The year before, in 1979, when the Steelers were playing the, the uh, Cowboys in Super Bowl 13, arguably the greatest Super Bowl ever, certainly, in my opinion, the Super Bowl with the, the greatest collection of talent ever between the Steelers and Cowboys. I forget how many Hall of Famers. Well, I know the Steelers had nine or ten now with Donnie Shell. But the Cowboys also had their fair share of Hall of Famers. And, of course, Chuck Noll and Tom Landry. It was just – it was like two of the greatest – in my opinion, two of the greatest franchises ever were matched up in that Super Bowl. But I was in my house in Bellevue where I lived at the time. As I guess I was, uh, what, seven or six? Yeah, six. January 79, I was six. And I was watching the old – an old rerun of, of – Tarzan. I don't know if you remember Tarzan. I, I don't know when it first aired. I guess maybe in the 50s or the 60s. I don't even know who starred in it. But I remember watching that while Super Bowl 13 was taking place. And my mom had the game on in the kitchen on a little TV. She was doing dishes. And I remember being, going in the kitchen for some reason and, and seeing the, the one play where I don't, even, I don't even, it might have been a highlight. It might have been the actual game, but where Lynn Swan caught the, the, the touchdown where he, where he he jumped in the air and I think Jack Lambert came out and hugged him or whatever that, that famous play from Super Bowl 13 at the end. Uh, I remember watching that couldn't have cared less. I could not have cared less about that game at that point. But a year later, somehow, some way I became uh, a fan to the point that had they lost that game against the Rams, I would have cried. So I don't know how I got from, 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 watching Tarzan during Super Bowl 13 to being fully invested during Super Bowl 14. I don't know, maybe I was abducted by Yinzer aliens and they, they indoctrinated, uh, they, they, uh, they, they taught me the ways of, of being the steel, a Steelers. I don't know how it happened, but, but somehow, some way I became a fan and, and, you know, it was great, you know, cause it was their fourth title in six years. And, and, and I, I signed a lifelong contract. I was like, Give me more Super Bowls every year. I'll take this every year. But I didn't read the fine print. And the fine print was that most teams that, that have great Super Bowl eras, they're usually followed up by pretty mediocre eras. And that was certainly the case for the Steelers in the 1980s. And it started out, it started out right away. In 19, and, uh, the very next year, 1980, they, they missed the playoffs for the first time since I was born. I was born in 1972. And that's when their run started. And it just so happened that that's the first time that they missed the playoffs since their their run began, and and there were three pretty uh, pretty uh, noteworthy losses that year. They they, they lost a, a game early on to the to the pretty uh, hapless Bengals. They lost at Three River Stadium, and then uh, later in the year, they they their defense that got old just overnight got torched by the Raiders at at Three Rivers on on Monday Night Football. And they lost a uh, a game late in the year. I think it was later in the year to the Browns in Cleveland. They led by two or three scores in the fourth quarter, and yet they still somehow lost that game. So, you know, those are th three pretty telling losses because, for one thing, they tormented the, the Bengals and Browns for years in the 1970s. They were their AFC Central rivals at the time. That's the division they were in, and, and, and they tortured – them for years so for those two teams to to help knock them out of the playoffs is pretty telling and as far as the, the loss to the raiders that was significant because 
the Steelers didn't necessarily torture the Raiders, but they definitely uh, had more wins and losses against them in the playoffs, I think. Although it might have been even. Either way, they won more Super Bowls than the Raiders in the 70s. So for the uh, the Raiders to to knock off the Steelers on the way to their second Super Bowl, because they went on to win the Super Bowl in 1980, I think that was a, a pretty... Uh, it's a, it was a pretty big watershed moment in a negative way for the uh, for what was to come for the Steelers in the '80s. And to tell you, uh, to show you how beaten down I was almost immediately, you know, I I, I might have come into a into my fandom with a sense of entitlement because the first game I remember watching was uh, was a victory in the Super Bowl. By the early '80s, I had been beaten down to the point that when the Steelers beat the Bengals in Week Two of the '82 season, it was an overtime win, right before the strike. I was so beaten down by watching them get they, they were they were swept by the Bengals the previous two years. I was so excited. I, I still cherish that victory to this day. I went over the Bengals in week two in 1982. That's how that's how far they had fallen in, 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 from Super Bowl contender to just another team. And and I, I just think uh, post Super Bowl eras are are, are fascinating. I mean, you look at the 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 Packers of the sixties, right? They were, they were the team, right? They were, you know, Vince Lombardi was, was up there with Muhammad Ali and maybe a couple other sports figures as the most famous in the world. I mean, he was larger than life and, and those Packers teams were larger than life. They won five championships, including the first two Super Bowls, and, you know, Lambeau field and green Bay was the, was the Mecca of the football world. And then, but it, the, Right, right after they they uh, won Super Bowl two, you know they won the you know, the Ice Bowl against the Cowboys and they won Super Bowl two. Right after that, they fell off a cliff. Lombardi retired. I mean, he came back to co coach the Redskins, but he stepped down and they just fell off a cliff. In the 1970s, they were about as irrelevant as you can get in terms of uh, former Super Bowl dynasties. And the Steelers were kind of like that in the 80s. They weren't quite as bad, but they. You know, you know, they didn't draft all that well in, in the mid to late 70s. They didn't draft well at all, really. So when everybody got old and they started retiring, there really was nowhere for them to go. But but at first, they dropped from championship level to mediocrity, to, to the, a mediocre level. And then, of course, by the end of the decade, they were pretty bad. But, you know, in those days, free agency didn't exist. So you couldn't supplement your roster with uh, – with talent after after your your veterans either left or retired right you couldn't you couldn't do that back then so if you didn't draft well which you know it's hard to do in the nfl it's, it's hard to draft well year after year because of 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 parity right i mean uh the better you are the the lower you draft and if you're if you're drafting near the bottom of each not just the first round but each round year after year after year you know unless you get lucky that that has a uh, a telling effect eventually so you know, by the by the mid '80s, they were they were pretty. You know, they were they were starting to. You know, they they drafted Louis Lips. You know, and he was an All Pro right away. But other than that, it was hard to. There, there weren't very many Steelers, uh, new Steelers stars in those days. You know, um, it, it was so bad back then that I, you know, when they when they knocked off the the the, the Broncos, they were they were nine and seven. They barely squeaked into the playoffs in 1984. Louis Lips rookie year. Mark Malone was a quarterback by the end of the year. Uh, at first, it was David Woodley who they who they traded for and who won the job after Terry Bradshaw retired in '84. But by the end, 
Mark Malone took over. So he was a quarterback heading into the playoffs. They barely snuck in. You know, the, the AFC Central was so mediocre back then that the Steelers uh, won that division with a 9-7 and seven record. And had they had they finished at 8-8, eight and eight, the Bengals would have won. That's how, that's how mediocre that division was, right? But they somehow managed to knock off John Elway and the Broncos in the divisional round. And I still can't believe that to this day. 36 years later, I was 12 at the time. To me, it's still one of the most remarkable wins of my lifetime as a Steeler fan. I, I just can't, I can't uh, believe that they did it. And then, of course, the following week, they got torched by Dan Marino, the guy that many, and rightfully so, many fans think they should have drafted uh, in 1983. They got torched by by the him and the Dolphins in the, in the, in the AFC Championship game. And then after that, the team sort of just fell off a cliff. That was kind of like their last hurrah. There were a few players left over from from those 80s teams. And again, you know, they were supplemented by guys like David Little, who filled in that year for Jack Lambert, who was who was injured with the turf toe that would ultimately lead to his retirement. Uh, of course, uh, Louis Lips and, 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 you know, they had some decent young linemen like Keith Willis and Mike Merriweather was a, was a, a really good linebacker for them. And but other than that, it really wasn't a whole lot of, of, of talent there. So. 85, that was your first uh, losing season since 1972. And then, of course, you know, the following year, they were 6-10. and 10, And then 87, they missed the playoffs again. 88, they were 5-11. and 11. And, <laughs> uh, you know, to show you how lucky we are as fans, that, that's like the, the, the best worst record that any team's had since the merger. When they went five and eleven in nineteen eighty-eight, the Steelers—they have the best worst record since the merger. So, but still, when I look back at that year, it was pretty—it was pretty awful. But I, that's when I did go to—I get to go to my first game that year because when you know when, when when you're somebody like me and you grew up poor, usually the only time you get to go see games is when when they're awful. Well, they were really awful that year. So my uncle and I, who's my age, uh, we went to see a, a late season game against the Eagles at Three River Stadium. I think they were, at that point, they were either 2-10 and 10 or 3-10 and 10 or 3-9, and nine, something like that. They were bad, and the Eagles were were contenders, and, and the section we were in had a lot of Eagles fans, and, you know, they were obnoxious. But, hey, the Steelers fans aren't, aren't uh, they're not angels either. So the entire game, it was nothing but fighting. You know, at, now I would, I would think it would it, be pretty appalling. But at the time, as a 16-year-old, we thought it was pretty funny. Although we did have to stand on our seats for most of the game because we couldn't see anything below us because people were just constantly fighting and security guards were coming to break it up and pull people out. At one point, I saw a uh, uh, an Eagles fan punch a Steelers fan in the face, and that fan took his beer and threw it in a uh, in an Eagles fan in that Eagles fan's face. It was pretty pathetic, but at the time it was pretty funny because we were kids and you know we liked that kind of thing back then. But uh, that was the game where. Uh, Bobby Brister threw a an 80, uh, 89 yard touchdown pass to Louis Lips, and it's still one of my favorite plays ever. He he was scrambling and and, and and scrambling to his right, and he threw downfield to Lips, who who was all alone. He took it he took it for a touchdown, and that was on our side that we were where we were watching the game. We were on that side on that sideline of the game of, of the stadium. But uh, uh, the end of the game saw. Uh, Bobby complete one uh, last gas pass like near midfield, like the 40 yard line, 38 yard line, whatever it was. And they brought in Gary Anderson to, to kick a field goal. Had he made it, they would have won. I think they were down by one point at the time. 
and it was from 57 yards away. And I remember me and my uncle going, come on, Gary, do it. You can do it. And it was blocked and that was it. But it was still a lot of fun because I mean, obviously they weren't going to make the playoffs, but just seeing that, all that kind of action in person, it, it was it was great. So it was a nice setup for the following year, 89, which in many respects may have been Chuck Knoll's greatest coaching year. I mean, it's, it's hard to say that with everything that he accomplished in the 70s you know, uh, drafting all those players and obviously winning all the Super Bowls. But uh, they were they were so bad in 88, and it didn't look like they were going to be much better in 89 when they, when they started out losing the first two games by a combined score of 92 to 10. Uh, they were blown out at home by the Browns in week one, 51 nothing. The following week in Cincinnati, they lost 41-10. So it was, it was, it looked like they were going to be even worse than they were in, in, in 88. But surprisingly, they, they knocked off the, the Vikings in week three at home. The Vikings were a Super Bowl contender. That was the year that they traded for uh, Herschel Walker, the infamous trade with the Cowboys that basically uh, became the catalyst for the Cowboys' 90s dynasty. But at the time, the, the Vikings were considered a, a true contender. And my uncle and I went to that game. The Steelers were 0-2. It looked like they were going to be 0-3. And they somehow managed to win that game. Mike Malarkey caught a touchdown. It, it was pretty fantastic. I think uh, Thomas Everett, who was their safety, it was hard-hitting safety at that time, he had at least one interception, maybe even two. So it, it was uh, it was pretty cool, and it proved to be again another catalyst for the Steelers. And that's uh, towards a, a a real Cinderella season. I mean, that was to me that was the epitome of a Cinderella season, 1989. They were they were pretty mediocre all year. But they they managed to to, to stay in the, in the playoff race. At one point, I think they were six and seven, and they managed to win their last three games. And they still heading into the final week. They needed, I think, three or four teams to lose, and um, that all happened. And it culminated with a a a victory by the Vikings over the Bengals on Monday Night Football. Back then, you could play on Monday Night Football before the playoffs, and coaches didn't have a fit because they had less preparation time, right? So back then, uh, the final game was always on Monday Night Football, and, if, and the Vikings needed to win their game to win a division, and the Bengals needed to win to make the playoffs. But the Vikings won, and the Steelers clinched the final seed in, in, in the AFC, the fifth seed. Back then, there were only five seeds in each conference, and it was – uh, I, I still never, I, I'll never forget where I was when, when that, when that, when I knew that, that Pittsburgh was going to make the playoffs. It was just, it was a great feeling, and it had been five years. So I mean, if you think two years is a lot, try five, not just five years missing the playoffs, but five pretty bad years because they were some pretty bad years, six and ten, five and eleven. It was a bad stretch. So for them to make the playoffs alone was great, and then they had the matchup against the, the hated division rival Houston Oilers in the Astrodome. Back then it was, it was four against five and the winner went on to the divisional round. So even though the, even though the, uh, the Oilers were uh, a wild card team, like the Steelers, the Oilers were huge favorites and they were Super Bowl contenders. And it was believed that the Steelers were just happy to be there. Maybe they were, I don't know, but, they were also playing a division rival. And when you're playing a division rival, uh, all bets are off, right? So anyway, I, I just I want to get to the end of this game, but I got I have to take a break to get a drink because I've been talking so much over these first 20 minutes. 
Excuse me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And that that uh, drink break was brought to you by Steelers Brunch with Tony and Behind the Steel Curtain. Anyway, as you know, that game was uh, was a lot of fun, and it went down to the wire. The Steelers controlled the game, you know, for three and a half quarters, basically. But then the uh, Oilers struck late in the fourth quarter, you know, behind uh, the uh, legendary Warren Moon and and, and they had a 23 to 16 lead in the final minutes, but the Steelers came back and tied it on a Merrill Hodge touchdown in the final, I think, minute and a half of the game. And but it looked like they were going to be in trouble in, in overtime because Harry Newsom, who was their Pro Bowl punter at that time, was awful in this game, and he kept giving the Oilers great field position. And at one point, Houston had the ball around midfield in overtime, and it looked like they needed like another 15, 20 yards to, to kick a field goal, but Rob Woodson came to the rescue, uh, hit, I forget the, who the running back was that he hit, and knocked the ball loose. He recovered the fumble, and a few plays later, Gary Anderson kicked the 50-yard field goal. And it's one of those moments I'll never forget, jumping up out of my chair in my living room in, 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 uh, in Pittsburgh, and my grandfather was sitting in the other chair, his recliner. He had some kind of lucky penny. He was like, here's this lucky penny. I told you it was going to work. You take it and keep it till next week. And I don't know if I did or not, but it wasn't so lucky the following week when they lost to the Broncos in the divisional round, but but that game was a lot of fun too, and 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 it it, it seemed to to be a, a a a nice preview for what was in store for these Steelers. It looked like they were going to use this season and as a great catalyst into the '90s, but unfortunately it didn't work out that way. Chuck No hired Joe Walton to be his coordinator. That seemed like a puzzling move at the time. It was such a complicated offense. It took the Steelers a month to score their first offensive touchdown in 1990, and uh, it looked like they were going to have a they weren't going to be able to score score much that year. But they got their act together and and had a nice little run. But they they failed to make the playoffs. And then in 1991, they finished seven and nine. It was a pretty mediocre year. It was a pretty blah year. It seemed like Chuck Noll just wasn't in, in, into it anymore. And 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 and. He ultimately retired after that, and uh, it was pretty unsettling for me as a as a, a young guy at the time. You know, it's like uh, I guess when when Joe Paterno retired from the uh, from Penn State in 2011. I'm sure longtime Nittany Lions Nittany Lions fans didn't know what was going to come of that. So I was like, this is the only coach I've ever known on the Steelers sidelines. I mean, how are they going to get anybody that's that's any better than that. And uh, they found somebody and it was Bill Cower. I mean, I, I didn't know who he was. Day one step was supposed to be the, was expected to be the, uh, to get the job. He was, he was the, the front runner, but Bill Cower was, was in, in the running too. And, and, and mean Joe Green, he, who was on the staff, he was also a candidate, but it went to Bill Cower. 
uh, a, a Pittsburgh native, like they once said, and um, it, it, he just immediately he brought a new energy to the not just to the to the team but to the city, right? And and that that first year, uh, the fact that they managed to win eleven games, you know, I had been watching the Steelers since nineteen eighty from nineteen eighty through nineteen ninety one. They had only won double digits, double digit games once, and that was in nineteen eighty three when they finished ten and six. So to see them win eleven games, and and uh, win the division, and uh, people talk about that first game in Houston in the Astrodome, you know, with the fake punt, right? The the famous fake punt that sort of uh, jump started Cowher's career as a Steelers coach. But the game I always remember against the Oilers that year was at Three River Stadium. Later in the year, Pittsburgh was down twenty to seven in the uh, fourth quarter, and O'Donnell hit both tight ends. For, for touchdowns, one Adrian Cooper and then Eric Green, I think, or maybe maybe they were both Adrian Cooper. I don't know. Either way, they were two touchdown or two tight two touchdowns at tight ends in the fourth quarter. They were up 21-20, and the Oilers had one last gasp at the end, and they had a, a chance to kick a game-winning field goal, Al Del, Del Greco, and it was a pretty makeable field goal. So it looked like Pittsburgh was going to lose, but he missed, and the way Three River Stadium reacted, the way the crowd reacted, there were people dancing on the on the on the dugout, the Pirates dugout. It it seemed like what the what the '70s were like to me. I don't remember the '70s, but seeing the way the crowd re reacted to that win, to that miss, and knowing the Steelers were going to win, it just it, it 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 had that magical feeling of of what it must have been like in the 1970s. So, uh, you know, I'll never forget that year. And and they kind of fizzled out. That they did win 11 games, and and they. Can you believe it or not? They had the number one seed, based on some fluky tiebreakers. I think three teams had the same record. You know, I mean, there are years where teams don't even make the playoffs with eleven wins. That was a year that Pittsburgh managed to, to get the number one seed with eleven wins. It was it was just really strange. But still, they 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 were they didn't have a whole lot of momentum going into the playoffs because because they kind of fizzled down the stretch. I think they lost three of their last five or two of their last five, something like that, and. You know, they, they took on a uh, a pretty seasoned Bills team, even though the Bills were a, a wild card team, and they, they they stormed back from a 35 to three deficit against the Oilers in the uh, wild card round the week before. They were still a, a more seasoned team, and and they came in the Three Rivers and had their way with the Steelers, and eventually went on to another Super Bowl. And then the following year, Pittsburgh barely made the playoffs, and and uh, Lost a heartbreaker to the Chiefs in overtime in the wild card round. I can still remember Merrill Hodge walking in, you know, through the tunnel after the game, holding his helmet, his face mask, and disgust. It was, you know, and by that point in my life, I had seen so many heartbreaking losses. I mean, there's the one to the Broncos, and of course, I'm a big Pirates fan. So seeing them lose year after year after year in the in the NLCS, it was, you know, I didn't think I was ever going to see because I'm not a, a huge hockey fan. So even though the Penguins won a couple Stanley Cups back then, didn't really do a whole lot for me. So, like, you know, I'm a big Pitt fan, Pirates fan, Steelers fan. So all those teams uh, caused a lot of heartbreak for me in those days. And they lost a lot of in the playoffs time and time again when it looked like they were going to – they had a chance to, to win, win a title. So, you know, I didn't think I would ever, ever, you know, see them – see any of my teams get over the hump. And then, of course, in 94 – that great Steelers team, had, you know, looked like 
that was that, that was by far the best team that the Steelers had since the 70s to lose the way they did in the AFC Championship game to the Chargers, who, in, in my opinion, maybe may have been the worst team ever to play in the Super Bowl, and yet they somehow came in here and 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 beat the Steelers. It was something, you know, by that point, I felt like I was never going to see uh, uh, a team playing the Super Bowl, a team playing the World Series, a team playing the Final Four, whatever. And, uh, of course, and that's what made 1995 so, so uh, memorable for me. Pittsburgh got off to a slow start, three and four. Uh, they rebounded uh, behind O'Donnell, who had taken a lot of criticism for his performance the year before. But you know they 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 went from three and four to eleven and five, number two seed, and of course they that remarkable and memorable went against the Colts in the AFC title game when it looked like they were going to repeat history of the year before and 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 lose to another big underdog because the Colts were uh, like a ten point underdog, and uh, I'll never forget the moment that that uh, Jim Harbaugh's hail mary pass. Uh, fell incomplete in the end zone, but you couldn't tell at the time. You couldn't tell. And uh, the NBC crew, NBC did the game at that time. And I think it was Phil Sim that, Sims that screamed, he caught it. I forget who, I think it was uh, the guy, the receiver's name was Bailey. Um, but um, for a split second, I saw all those depressing losses that I had just experienced in the previous few years flash before my eyes. And I thought, here we go again. But then I saw the official waving his arms incomplete. And back then, there was no instant replay. So there was no chance whatsoever that they were going to review this play. Could you imagine that today, having to wait two or three minutes to see a play like that get reviewed? There'd be heart attacks everywhere. But, you know, after I saw, you know, incomplete sign, I went running in the kitchen and slid on my stomach. Yeah, I was 23 at the time, so that I didn't get hurt. But uh, I remember looking up at my uncle, who was a big fan. But for some reason, he was cooking. Ah, here we go. I'm back. Sorry about that. I don't know what that's my that's a, it's the first time for everything, and that was my first uh, technical difficulty. But we we made it through it. And uh, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, the AFC Championship game. At that point, it was it was as sad as it might be to to, to admit this right now. It was the greatest time of my life. Those two weeks leading up to Super Bowl Thirty, I was just so happy to see Pittsburgh in the Super Bowl. It was it's something to this day. I still have fun memories of those two weeks. I, I bought every piece of uh, Steelers and Super Bowl paraphernalia I could get my hands on. I watched every highlight I could watch on TV. It was it was great. And you know I knew the Cowboys were huge favorites, and I knew the chances of Pittsburgh winning were pretty slim. But obviously I had great hope that they would win, and of course they didn't. And uh, it was disappointing. But it really wasn't that bad. 
when I look back on it, you know, uh, even at the time it, it was depressing, but not really that bad. It was such a, such a, a fun time for me to see them make it that even though O'Donnell threw those two picks in the fourth quarter and they could have won that game. It's not something I look back ever with, with uh, sadness. I always look back on that, that, uh, that year with, with, with great joy. And of course, you know, they had a couple other shots after that, especially in 97 with Cordell Stewart as a quarterback and they lost at home in the AFC title game to the Broncos. And then of course the wheels fell off in the late nineties under Cower, and, you know, they had a lot of free agent defections. You know, they didn't really sign their free agents back then. Today they do. Today they make every effort possible to sign their free agents. Whereas back then, this is before Heinz Field, so they didn't have the, the luxury box revenue that they get today. So they let a lot of guys go like Yancey Thigpen and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Chad Brown, you name it, they let them walk. John Jackson, who was a very underrated left tackle for them. So 98 was a, a pretty ugly year for them. It was a, they started off okay, and then they, then they, they uh, faltered at the end. And 99 was just a disaster. You know, and, 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 and people that, you know, and I love Bill Cowher. I love Bill Cowher. But being from here, I could tell you that for what you th might think of Mike Tomlin right now as the Steelers coach and the criticism that he faces on a, on a daily basis, trust me, it was – just that way back then, because not only did you have all those heartbreaking losses during that six-year playoff run of the 90s, where they, they never won a title, even though they were, they had some of the best rosters in the game, they never won. But, you know, once that run was over, then it was, then it was just not only mediocrity, but bad records, like seven and nine, six and ten. So there were people that wanted Bill Cowher gone. There were people that were sp spreading vicious rumors about Cordell Stewart and Cowher himself. You know, this before social media, so maybe you don't you don't know that. But yeah, there were some pretty nasty rumors going around about both of those guys. And you know, there were a lot of ugly incidents with the team. Uh, there was a, a famous uh, locker room brawl. I think it was in two thousand or two thousand one where as one reporter described it, I think it was Ernie, Ernie Holmes or, or, or somebody, Jason Gildon, somebody who was involved in a fight had a folding chair and was swinging it around. And as they described it, he was using the shotgun method, meaning he didn't care who he hit when he was swinging it. So it was, there were some pretty ugly times back then. And when Coward got a contract extension, a lot of people were against it. Like, how can you, how can you uh, keep this guy around? He, he, he failed to make, to ever, win a championship with those great teams that he had. And now they're, they're pretty bad. You're giving him an extension. You know, he can't win the big game. Does that sound familiar, right? He's always out coached in the big game. He's always too conservative. He's a player's coach. He has poor, poor clock management skills. I mean, that, that, that all sounds pretty familiar because that's what people say about Mike Tomlin. But believe, believe me when I tell you, they were saying the same things about Bill Cowher. So it was a, it was a pretty ugly time back then. And I listened to a lot of talk, talk radio and, there were a lot of calls that were dropped because people were saying some pretty nasty things. I won't tell you what they were saying, but you can pretty much guess what they were saying about Cowher, Stewart, and it was just an ugly time. And had social media been around, they would have probably been even worse. So, but to Cowher's credit, during that ugly period, he was out drafting his future championship team. You know, that's when Heinz Ward was drafted. That's when Joey Porter was drafted. Alan Fanica. Casey Hampton, Marvell Smith, Aaron Smith, 
You know, I mean, he was building a foundation and a lot of, like, that's something that Chuck Bill couldn't even do. You know, when he had his, his uh, initial run of success in the 70s, as I mentioned, they, they, they couldn't follow it up in the 80s because they just drafted poorly. But to, to Cowher's credit, he, he rebuilt that roster, which is not easy to do. Once you fall off the mountain once, it, it's hard to climb back up to the top. And, and he was able to do that. You know, and, and of course, it came with more heartbreak. You know, uh, Stewart, who had been sort of uh, bounced around, he was a receiver. He was banned from the quarterback's meeting room during those days. And then he, he somehow managed to uh, overcome all that and become the starter again. So he was the starter in 01. He was the team MVP, I think. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, I'm coming on to let you know, for those of you that hung around, that due to technical difficulties, uh, Tony's show has now concluded. And want to thank you all for those of you that stuck around for some conversation with each other. And uh, he'll be back for you next Saturday. Uh, have a great weekend.